we'd like to welcome you to the virtual kitchen table. We are Haley from Taking a Kinder Path, Ashley from Ashley as Mama and Storytime Shelves, and myself, Erin, from Everlearning. We're gathering to have conversations about family life and home education, most specifically unschooling, which is sometimes known as self-directed education, or as I often refer to it, whole life learning. We'll be sharing experiences and ideas, learning as we go. We hope you'll pull a chair up to the table and join us. Welcome to the virtual kitchen table. Uh, I am back with Haley and Ashley. How are you both? Yeah, good. Hi, Erin. Hi, Haley. I think Hello. Our- yep. Yep. Hi, Haley. Sorry, I'm talking over you there. I think it's our first um, 2024 recording. Um, we have, we're, it won't be, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to be uh, dealing with my voice a little bit today. It won't be our first episode out in 2024, but I think this is the first time that we've connected again um, in the new year. So, um, yeah, so we are talking today about something called, something we are calling, we, we're not sure where the conversation will go, but the idea is um, the concept of emotional labor. So something kind of happened simultaneously, I think, that got me thinking about this, which is that I noticed that Ashley had posted something in an online group. Um, Ashley, you had said you were reading a book called Emotional Labor, which I believe is by Rose Hackman. Yeah. Yeah, you can correct me later if I've got any of that wrong, but I think that's the title and the author. And just kind of at the same time as that we were going through this process where uh our you know long one of our longtime cats had gotten very ill and we were kind of nursing him you know through the it seemed like 24 7 until we could get a vet appointment um and i started to just be aware of the emotional process involved in that and i kind of i think there was one night i ended up thinking of the word which you know it's a known term but anticipatory grief because we knew we had two or three days um still until the vet was able to come do a home visit and we knew by that point that we were going to need to have him put down he was just at such a point of of suffering and just sort of like watching the grief process of different family members and then my own kind of this impending event right and how we all dealt with that differently um and there were a lot of like there were a lot of really um kind of good pieces that came out of it in as far as watching how people maybe like accommodated each other's grief and considered each other's grief but there was one moment in particular where I think for like three or four weeks I'd just been pretty practical about it Christmas had been in the mix there and New Year's and um, you know we tried to get him to our regular vet a couple times so there just been a lot of practical pieces to deal with and so then finally the one night it was just I think a couple of nights before you know, we knew he would be passing away. And I just, you know, I finally cried and I just burst into tears. And I remember trying to like, not hide it, but not emphasize it to my daughter, who was taking a kind of a different way of of coping. And it wasn't so much that I was pretending that I wasn't sad, or I wasn't like, ashamed of crying. It was more, she had taken a different approach to these last couple of nights. And she was 
um, I don't know, she was really celebrating his life. And, and so we were kind of on two different paths of how we were, we were looking at these, these two last nights. And then of course, other family members kind of fell in different places, kind of with their grief as well. And what hit me was just how much we hold, right? So we hold our own feelings. And then I think as human beings, certainly, but maybe even more so as parents, we are also holding the big picture of um, sometimes a variety of people and their feelings and their thoughts and their, their circumstances. And it, it just hit me how as much as it, it was a really meaningful experience to kind of go through this as a family, it really is. There's an emotional weariness to it. Um, and then, you, you know, I even was planning past that. I was thinking, okay, you know, we're thinking of burial and how's our other cat going to cope. And, you know, we've, we've done this with losses of people in our lives as well, how you just kind of look at this situation and then maybe you project ahead a little bit too and kind of imagine it from different people's perspectives. And yeah, for me, I tend to, what I know about myself is that I often, if I'm really mentally taxed or emotionally taxed, I'll often end up with a headache or um, sometimes stomach, but it's usually, it's usually a headache. And so I was almost like planning, <laughs> you know, when this is all over, I need a day to just be sick. I know I'm going to have a migraine kind of thing. And I actually didn't get one, which was interesting, but it just made me think about how we hold all these pieces. And sometimes it does manifest physically. And even though we usually want to hold, sometimes we're holding more than we want to, but these are just things in life and we want to be considerate of people. But I think too, it just um, led me to think how we really have to be considerate of ourselves as well, because I think it's useful to acknowledge kind of all the pieces that we we hold at once and as parents I think we're doing that in some small way you know it might not be a big grief event but in some small way we do that through the day you know between siblings if if our kids have a friend over we're navigating both personalities we're wanting the best you know we're wanting to be welcoming to our host and we're also wanting it to work out for our child um yeah, so I just kind of became interested in this idea about emotional labor and and kind of how much of a part of our lives I think it is. So, yeah, I don't know what what comes up for either of you or Ashley, if you want to talk about the, the book at all or whether you've, um, what you've kind of found from that, that would be great too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the book is called Emotional Labor and then... Um... Um, it goes on to say the invisible work shaping our lives and how to claim our power. And that's by Rose Heckman, as you shared, Erin. And then I'll just also mention, so I don't forget um, what led me to finding out about this book was um, Rachel Rainbolt's Sage Family podcast. She has an episode all about emotional labor and her guest was Rose Hackman. And I um, listened to that episode and I could say it was even like an aha moment for me when I first listened to the episode um, because it wasn't like they were talking about stuff that I had never thought about, but it just put a put language to it. Um, and so I found that episode really, really interesting. And I got the book from the library. Um, there's another book actually um, that I haven't read um, on the topic. Oh, um, I think it's called fed up is 
the title or part of the title, and I'm not going to be able to think of the author's name, but there is there is some work out there on it. And I think there's more um, like writing and more academia, like research and stuff on emotional labor um, that I think will be interesting to dive into. But um, yeah, it got me thinking a lot about the emotional labor I see other people do in my life, the emotional labor that I do on a daily basis as like, as you said, Aaron, like as a parent, as a mom, as a homeschool parent, um, as a wife, as a sister, as a daughter-in-law, um, and, and not just the emotional labor that I'm currently observing and doing myself, but also the emotional labor in my past and when I really didn't know about it, um, but was doing it and, you know, what I would have probably just described as being a nice person, being a nice, kind, considerate, thoughtful person, um, could have probably been said to be like a people pleaser. Um, again, it's just, I have found it really helpful to um, have that term emotional labor, because I think that allows me to just understand what's truly going on a bit more. And the the piece of it being that it, it is work. Um, Cause I remember saying in, in this podcast to you guys, one of the episodes, maybe more than one episode, how I can just feel so tired or drained by the end of the day after having, you know, these days that I am enjoying with the kids at, at home, um, but feel exhausted and look back and go, I don't really know why I'm this exhausted. And I think I kind of just put it as, well, that's how you feel as a parent, especially a parent as young kids, maybe. Um, but now looking back under this like emotional labor lens, um, I can think about how it really is. I think Rose in her book um, talks about emotional labor as um, it takes skill, effort. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong time. Um, like it really is a form of work. Um, so that's been helpful to think about it in that way. And not that it's, you know, that doesn't make it a bad thing, but it explains why we can feel so tired or why we might get a headache afterwards if we've done a bunch of it. So yeah, I'm looking forward to to having the conversation and hearing what you guys have to say about it as well. Yeah, when you said about the book, Ashley, I looked it up and thought, oh yeah, definitely, I want to read that. And I did a little bit of reading around about the term emotional labour. And, uh, and apparently it started off being something to do with work, if you like. I think it was a study that was done, I don't know, I'm going to say the 1980s, but I don't know if I'm right about that or not. But I think um, whoever was the author of this study was looking at um, jobs like, like flight attendants, cabin crew, I'm not sure what the right term is, um, and jobs like that where there's a lot of um, onus on those people to be really calm and sensitive to everybody else's views and if anybody's getting upset then their job is to calm people down and of course if you're on an airplane you've got to um, it's a very you know it can be a very tense enclosed environment can't it and I guess as a flight attendant you've got to um, yeah you've got to be the face of, of, of reassurance haven't you if if there's any turbulence or things like that that people are worried about and and shopkeepers as well things like people who work in shops they were saying you know if if people come in and complain then there's a lot of emotional labor in terms of getting to the specific problem I guess and trying to 
you know, not not inflame situations where people are very upset about something so that you can actually resolve whatever the, the problem is. Um, so I think, yeah, so I think that was the first when that was when the, the term came about. And then I think, um, you know, it got extended then to looking at kind of the 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 hidden work, I suppose, that that we all do as individuals in society. But particularly, I guess they were looking at, at mothers or primary caregivers and how that relates to to um, yeah families and children. And I guess that's, you know, that's our first when we have a baby, our babies, you know, they're not they're not capable of regulating their own emotions, are they? So we that is our kind of first um, first job, isn't it? I guess is is part of yeah enabling you know being there for them so that they can co-regulate alongside us. So it it, it yeah, it's a big yeah. it's a it's a big um, yeah it's important, isn't it? Not only is it, it you know it's really important in all in, in all kinds of realms so i think it's a really yeah really important topic for us to be talking about mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Haley, that's interesting i never uh just to add in the piece about like the flight attendants and shopkeepers and things like that that makes yeah that makes so much sense and i'm not even sure if if i'm really talking about it i think there's probably overlap but i don't want to suggest i'm talking about it purely maybe in the way that rose hackman was i think you know, I might be going in a few different directions with it, but it was like the timing of hearing that title for me um, made a lot of sense <laughs> for what I was kind of experiencing that week. So I like the fact that we can kind of look at it from some some different angles. And I guess a couple things that came up. So Ashley, when you were talking about like feeling um, tired by the end of the day at mm-hmm. times, or I'm not sure if that's quite the word you used, but you know, it's also interesting. I have found it interesting to look into like different, different personality types and different, just the the neurology that we each have, right? Because we're also different as far as what our sensitivities are, whether they are um, like physical sensitivities or whether we have kind of, you know, deep emotional sensitivities, either ourselves or toward other people. And yeah, just really recognizing that that is taxing on your system in this, not in the same way, but in an, in a just as valid way as doing physical labor or intellectual labor. Um, there was a book that I read as part of a book club a few years ago um, called The Powerful Purpose of Introverts. I think I've mentioned it before, but I'll, I'll put it, I'll put it in the list as well. But what I found fascinating about that is just understanding that, you know, I tend to be more of an introverted person. And so um, that probably combined with some other factors, I'm taking in a lot of stimulation and a lot of observing and a lot of listening in, say, like a family gathering or a party somewhere or or whatnot. I'm I'm taking in a lot of pieces. And so, you know, that has to go somewhere that, that accumulates and it makes sense. You know what you're saying, Ashley, at the end of the day, if you are with your children and maybe you're also interacting with their activities and other people that they're interacting with, like I know each day is different, but it makes sense that over the day you take in all that stimuli and depending on your personality and kind of the particular neurology of who you are, 
that, yeah, that for some of us, that is really tiring. And then, you know, Haley, just to your point about different jobs. So I think because um, I work in social work and I work with various families and my role is not to come in with my own opinion on things. I'm listening. <clears throat> I'm offering tools and big picture thinking and I'm doing write-ups and I'm doing all those things, but I'm doing it based on what their experiences and what their feelings are. So the result of that is, you know, at the end of a day, I can have a lot of different people's perspectives and feelings and challenges. Um, so if I'm not conscious of sort of what I'm doing with that accumulated, I'm going to call it accumulated stimuli or, or, you know, it, yeah, you can see how that can really overload a person and, and can, can build and build and build. And I think that, um, you know, we don't want to be detached people. We, we, and you do see people use that as a, I mean, I even saw some of this with this grief experience I was talking about where, you know, I would spend a certain amount of my time detaching from the situation. And we had a couple of people in our family who really detached from it and that's okay. That's kind of the choice that they made. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see the different tools we each use too, to sort of manage like how much do I want to engage in emotional labor right now or not? Um, yeah, yeah so I it's, think it's a, it's, it's a matter of energy, isn't it? Yeah, sometimes uh, uh, on two levels, sometimes we have more energy to deal with it, but also it is generating energy, if you like, like, like you were saying, Erin, I definitely relate to the, the headaches. That's definitely something. Um, uh, yeah, I get headaches and and I guess they, you know, sometimes definitely have come around the same time as maybe I've been doing a lot of emotional labor. Um, so there's there's the the yeah there's the fact that that energy is I guess being being built up in our systems and we're expending energy but also we're accumulating energy that somehow has to be released and discharged I guess and that's um, and, and and different people have different ways of of dealing with that like you say and different and sometimes we can deal with it quite close to the situation and other times we need to we need space and time before we can process those things, don't we? And I guess it's, um, yeah, that will that will depend so much, won't it, on di on different people's, like you say, temperaments and sensitivities. And I guess also the kind of support that's around and whatever else is going on, because it's the when we think about grief, it's it's sort of the hardest time is often after all the practical things have been done isn't it and, it and and after people have dealt with things like funerals and belongings and practical stuff it can be quite a way down the line that they're actually um able to process those that those emotions that have got stored up can't it it's um mm -hmm. not always something close to the event and we can be a bit hard on ourselves can't we i think that we don't always know you, you know where those yeah, we can't always link things together, can we, in terms of events or things that have happened and then our emotional uh, nurse down the line. Yeah, yeah. Well, and do you think, too, I'm curious, like something that I've been thinking about, um, you know, leading up to the holiday season, there's a lot of talk in the kind of home ed world about the holidays and navigating the holidays. And some of that is 
like busyness, right? It's it's the same conversation that that everybody in society is having. How do we kind of enjoy our time and not get overloaded? Some of it, I think, is more specific to the actual sort of like the dynamics at a family gathering or a you know a holiday party you know, maybe around questions about homeschooling and that kind of thing. But I also wonder if kind of the path that we are going down and we're kind of talking a lot about, um, you know, connected parenting and, and there's a lot of parenting conversation within the homeschool world. And so I wonder too, if we are, you know, because we navigate a lot of this with our own children, more hours in the week, are we also having an increased sensitivity and I mean that in a good way mostly (laughs) when we're when we're at family gatherings where we're kind of extending that to other people as well so for me if if I was going to a family gathering or a group gathering of some kind around the holidays I would be yes I would be thinking about what would work well for my kids but I'm also it's like there's a whole big picture going on where I want to make sure that things are going well for other people too so you know an example I can think of are times we've been places and maybe there's a game being played and I know that there's you know either a child or an adult who's not very comfortable with their skills in that area or whatever I don't know maybe if some people don't notice that but for me I'm kind of like I'm aware of that and I'm trying to figure out how to make that you know, how to kind of handle that sensitively or, um, you know, whether it's gift opening or any of those sorts of things. I think that I just have it on my radar a little bit more sometimes than other people do. And I wonder if that's the case for lots of people who are having these conversations about sort of, you know, connected parenting and, and respectful parenting that we're often it's not just our kids. <laughs> we're thinking about other people's kids. And in fact, we're just extending it in general, you know, to, to whoever's there. And uh, yeah, so I'm just, I don't know, I guess I'm just curious if you think, if you think that at all, or if you think that, you know, are other people talking about the holidays as much as the homeschool world does? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can say just upon reflecting and listening to you talk about that now, Erin, that I think I've probably become not only more aware of that emotional work I've been doing around holidays and family gatherings and stuff, but I think I've probably improved my skill set around it because as a parent, and then on top of that, a homeschool parent, I, I do spend a lot of time thinking about my kids, their feelings, where their feelings are at, at, like even monitoring them, what their experiences are going to be like or are going to be like. Um, so it's like the emotional work before, during, and after. I mean, it could be all everything, events, and then just everyday stuff. Um, and it's kind of like once I realized um, that I could become aware and pay attention and really care about my children's feelings and experiences. I can do that with anyone that I care about um, or even people I, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm just even thinking about little examples of, you know, I'll try not to get off track here, but I noticed the difference between my husband and I, when we go through like a coffee shop drive-through, we'll go through the Tim Hortons drive-through and my interaction 
connection with this work, the worker there that's serving me that I don't know, um, is pretty upbeat and friendly and, and positive. And I'm polite and I'm saying thank you. And whereas my husband goes through and he's, he's not rude, but he doesn't seem to put on the same level of friendliness or he might not say thank you. I think he often does, but, um, I can definitely see a difference. And I know there's actually even been times where my husband or my kids, I guess I'm judging them a bit on how much emotional labor they're doing. I don't realize I'm doing this at the time, but I notice I'll be smiling even bigger behind them to try to make up for their lack of smile. I don't know if I'm making sense with that. I, I went off a little bit there, but I do think once you, um, once I started um, really paying close attention, because like you said, Haley, that's kind of part of our role, I think, as a parent is to try to, um, I don't know how to put it, like navigate our children's feelings, not control them, but just be aware of them, almost be, almost take on the responsibility in a way of our children's feelings. Um, it's, I find it almost hard not to do that with other people. Like you said, like Aaron, like uh, if my kids have a friend over, I'm definitely paying attention to um, the experience that that child's having um are they comfortable um are they having a good time are they ha- are, do they feel safe are they having fun um and i think it is because that is i think very much invisible work um that's where it can become problematic you know doing that type of work i think is great and wonderful um and really important to to care work and just relationships but it does come at a cost. And I think that's the part that I really didn't realize until recently. Um, and I might I might pause there, but at some point I think it would be nice to get into a little bit about um, around the idea of why women are often and maybe why moms are often um, the ones doing a lot of emotional work. Um, because after I did reading about that, um, yeah, I mean, we can we can get into that a little bit more because I don't want to move away from your question too much, Anne, about what that experience is like for us around um, other people and extending it to other people. But um, I think that it's hard to not have gender kind of come into that conversation around moms and dads or just men and women too. So we, we can come back to that. I won't go down that road quite yet. <laughs> yeah, I. <clears throat> so I cannot tell you how much I relate to the smiling a bit bigger behind <laughs> behind people that you know I maybe have decided aren't smiling quite enough or saying thank you or whatever and you know it's a hard um it's like a compensation right it's like you're compensating for their lack of friendliness or emotion or or maybe what we deem manners or whatever um yeah and I, I find that a really interesting thing because on the one hand I guess and I, from the little bit of the book that I, that I read, I only read some sample pages of it, Ashley, but from the first example she gave, um, it feels like, yeah, there, there is a lot of, uh, gender stuff there as far as women, um, yeah, just kind of saving the day a lot, right? Like hold, holding the pe- keeping everything nice and keeping everything together. And I, I think on the one hand, um, you know, I can see some of the downsides of that. And I can see, I've actually had a couple of my kids um, mention that to me before about the, you know, the way that I can be with people. And and so it's, it's something that's kind of interesting to just to sort of 
I don't know, reflect on. Um, the other part of me thinks that I'm very thankful that women tend to do that <laughs> because it does help us all. There, there's a cohesion that happens from that ability to um, extend that extra bit of, of emotion. And I'm not saying that men don't sometimes do that too, but, but I think to your point, that often tends to be something that mothers hold, sort of that hosting role and kind of keeping all the moving parts. I mean, another, a sort of a less visible, but just as, as uh, integral part of that would be things like, um, you know, birthdays or Mother's Day or things like that, where I think a lot of women are thinking not only of getting maybe presents for their own side of the family, but many of us are also just, just maybe checking in to see if, if the other side of the family has been thought of or purchased or whatever and sometimes that just falls within an agreed upon division of labor like that's not necessarily a bad thing you know I don't think for for women to kind of take on that um present buying sympathy card buying kind of role but there are a lot of pieces there that I think sometimes I am kind of running out to do the extra thing or make sure that the sympathy card is bought or make sure that whatever and part of my brain is kind of like this feels like a lot of pieces <laughs> that I'm doing, you know, but I'm sure in conversation, you know, my husband who will be editing this episode. So we'll, <laughs> we'll find out what he thinks. Um, there's probably lots of things on his end too, that he's probably doing that I'm not necessarily noticing. So I guess what I'm saying is it's hard for me to know sometimes how much is an unfair load and how much is sort of an, a natural, division of things um that sometimes females tend to be tend to do a bit more naturally or maybe have some natural inclination toward and then we could get into a whole conversation about is that natural inclination socialized or or is it like innate you know like we could go so far but it's just it's just kind of fun to like ponder right like just so yeah, any, it, sorry I kind of blew that that <laughs> I think there's two things that stood out to me there was the the hidden bit again like I, I can't remember which of you mentioned that before because it is hidden then Erin it is hard isn't it for for your husband or for you to know how much the other person is doing because it's hidden because we can't see it it's all happening in our in our heads so that's a um that's a really interesting thing, and then and the, and I think there is a an issue of power and the kind of cultures that that we may have been raised in, and I think it's not just um, it's not just in terms of men and women, I guess, but I think it's also in terms of of um, it's not just in terms of men and women. I was also thinking about um, anybody in society, perhaps, or may if you feel more vulnerable in society and perhaps sometimes thinking about home education I guess sometimes we might feel like that um but also I'm thinking of you know different cultural groups I guess people who perhaps you know people of color or different sexual sexualities that kind of stuff you you may feel um if you're feeling more vulnerable then you may feel and the power dynamic makes it such that you might be in a position where you end up expending more emotional labor to kind of keep things running smoothly I guess maybe to keep yourself a bit safer does that make 
sense. And I and I wonder specifically as we we you know as we talk about um, home education in this podcast, I, I'm guessing for not only is there a very um, I guess because we live in the society that we live in, there may be a lot of families where it is the mother who is the one who stays at home and perhaps it is the mother who might have been more involved with school who might, this is obviously not always the case, but might have been the person who learned about home education, might have been the person who then um, is the one who brings the idea into the home. I mean, from my personal experience, that is what happened with us. It was me that learned about home education, ironically from work. But, um, but yeah, and so I guess I was the driving force rather than, than, than my husband. I've just said a lot of different things there, haven't I? But, um, no, this is just a lot of different things that are brought up a lot of different thoughts. I know I agree with you that you could take the same situation and it could be, you know, a, a very different amount of emotional labor for different people. And, and, you know, the, the first example that popped up for me is that, um, so for some of the people that I work with who would have a disability and, Sometimes I've done like job searches and then sort of um, been part of the initial interviewing and orientation process. And that is a lot, the anticipation of kind of them going in and kind of getting a sense of how they're going to be received, the emotional labor involved in them going, but then the emotional labor involved for the people who are um, advocating and supporting them is actually quite a lot. There's, there's, there are added elements there because not only are you starting a new job, which anybody feels some, um, you know, most people feel some apprehension about, there's another layer of how you're going to be perceived, right? So, so there's, and maybe that, I mean, that's probably mental labor as well, not just emotional, but there's definitely, I think some emotional pieces there where there are just these added, um, yeah, added pieces. And so I think for many, I mean, especially now in the home education world, I think that's probably relatable for a lot of parents who maybe have children with, you know, just different situations, whether, you know, however they frame that, whether that's neurodiversity, whether that's disabilities, whether that's maybe some mental health challenges, um, it's like you have the regular situation that already requires thinking and feeling, and then you're adding another piece to that. Um, and that just to kind of float. So I'm not sure if this is, it's kind of connected, but we'll, we'll see where it goes. I was thinking about my years in facilitating like a homeschool group. And so, you know, you might have a new family joining and sometimes those families, sometimes maybe those kids did have differences in the way that they learned or processed information. And, you know, I would be wanting to be very welcoming. And so it's another situation where I would kind of be looking at things from a variety of angles. I'm wanting to welcome the parents. So I'm wanting to make sure that maybe they have an opportunity to be introduced to people and that the other parents are, you know, being inviting and, and including them. And then of course I'm thinking about things from their children's perspectives, but then I'm also trying to gauge things from other kids' perspectives because you have new kids coming into settings and you've got different dynamics with kids. And I think um, 
I guess I'm kind of introducing a new line of thought here through this, but I think about, you know, how much talking we do about consent with our kids and respect is that sometimes as a parent, okay, I'm going to try to articulate this as a parent, I'm asking, or I was when my kids were younger, asking my kids to be kind of extra well welcoming and extra inviting at times that they themselves may not have their tanks totally full or they're navigating their own social dynamics with their friends and I'm saying hey we've got some new people here you know please include them please welcome them in um and usually that happened in some form or another but there have been times when personalities have clashed or um you know, the neurology of my kids and those kids have clashed a little bit. And you're kind of working with, you know, we also don't want to be over dictating or over directing what our kids have to do or who they have to socialize with all the time. So, um, and I definitely was more directive about that when they were, when they were little around that kind of thing. Like, I know that was really important to me that my kids included new kids, even not just even new kids, just I was that parent that would not want to see somebody left out of being invited to a birthday party. So I do know that I pushed past my kids preference, maybe even consent at times. I think it's a hard, I think it's a hard line. And I have one child in particular who has, you know, shown me that in different ways. And the fact that it's like the easiest going personality in the family, it's like, Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, because because they will kind of show me like, "Mm, here's my line, actually, you know, so that's just I always find that an interesting conversation and an interesting maybe aspect of it when we think of emotional labor is that we want these things, we want people to get along and to be happy and we want to be good hosts. And we don't want to push past our children's comfort level either. So, yeah. Well, we, yeah, we live, most of us, I guess, live in a society as well where um, in, all emotions aren't welcomed, are they? So if you're, and, and, that, and that differs, I think, between different cultural groups and between men and women. And the, the you know, the, the thing about, um, I guess, Sometimes the idea that if a man is angry, then that might be because he's got very strong convictions. Whereas if a woman expresses anger, then then sometimes they're written off as being a bit hysterical. And perhaps, you know, I'm kind of giving a big sort of, you know, general kind of example. But that's that's one comparison that I think I've definitely I've definitely experienced or witnessed or whatever in life. And, and I think that makes it, it that makes it hard um while we as while we're raising children we want our children to be to learn about emotions to be able to name their emotions to be able to express their emotions but then we're also living in the society that perhaps is going to judge our children if they do express those emotions too freely <laughs> so it's quite a difficult line to to draw and i think it, what you've said erin is really important for us all to think about but also i think you have to well, all of us, I guess, it's nice to be kind to ourselves and remember as well that in the moment we can't always take everything on board. But what's important is, I guess, how we reflect on that afterwards and the support that we give to our children when we do that, because we do all do, you know, 
we do all do that. There's a classic example of having friends to stay and there's an argument or somebody's upset and you'll perhaps tend to the visitor first because they're a visitor and they may feel more unsafe in your house and you perhaps will attend to your child's more to your child's emotional needs once the visit is, is over I guess won't you and that and and I'm sure that can be really hard for our children but the older they are the more they understand that I guess don't they it's about um yeah it's about us all being more open about emotional intelligence really isn't it and and um having more of these conversations in society I guess so that we're not so that we're not so hard on ourselves and we're not so hard on other people when they are emotional because that's just human yeah, I think <clears throat> I have so much, <laughs> so much I could say to all of that because it's just been so, so good. Um, but that's one thing that I've taken away from, <clears throat> excuse me, spending some time reading and thinking about this more is, and I think this is something that I've not struggled hugely with that I know other people have a harder time with. So I do recognize that. But to become more comfortable and to recognize that it's okay for people to have to not be happy all the time, essentially, that my kids, it's not my responsibility. I don't want them to be happy all the time, which is funny to say, but that's just not realistic for them to be happy all the time. Um, not every family gathering is going to go smoothly. And that doesn't have to fall on me or any one single person. So I think that that is one um, kind of step in moving forward in emotional labor um, work is, um, yeah, having us individually and as a, a group like as a society tolerating a, a, a bigger array of emotions from from anyone um, our children the people that we're with becoming more comfortable with that and I think that is a cultural thing I'm sure there's other places in the world that probably are more comfortable with um, you know the, the harder emotions and stuff but I want to go back to what you were saying Erin about that example um, with your children because to me it really highlights the how valuable emotional labor is um, because it, I think it really is um, really really important um, and so it's not that like I think about this as a parent and I think what is my role when it comes to emotional labor and, and what is what am I modeling for my children what are the conversations we're having around this so kind of like what you were saying too Haley um, I think that's that's the piece is recognizing the emotional labor that we're taking on maybe the emotional labor we're expecting our children to take on um, and having conversations about it, which is, I mean, no one had a, that conversation with me from what I remember when I was a kid. So that's, that's more work. <laughs> that's another thing to do, I guess. Um, but I think that's, um, and, and again, it brings me back to the gender a little bit, because I think we've been more likely to maybe have those conversations with our daughters Um than our sons. And I think about that quite a bit because I want, I think I just want my children to one, know what emotional labor is. And that will obviously be an ongoing conversation as they grow up, but understand that like, yeah, I go back to the definition of emotional labor, right? Like recognized when you are filtering or editing the expressions of your emotions for other people, right? Putting other people's feelings ahead of yours recognizing when you're doing that knowing that it's okay to do that but also knowing that it comes at a cost how that might feel to you um and 
and making sure, like, I want them to be in relationships with other people and connected with other people where they're on the receiving end of that as well. Because I think that's like when I read Rose's book, it was that distribution or lack of distribution, right? Like it was often one person um, doing more of the emotional labor when it became problematic. And it wasn't just that it wasn't visible, but they weren't often on the receiving end of it. Um, and that was just going unnoticed. And that's obviously problematic. Um, and what was helpful in the book when I was reading it was um, she shared about, I have notes on this, but I think I'll remember, um, because I think some people will argue and will say, well, well, females are just naturally better at this. And the book gets into this, which I really appreciated. Um, but it, or hmm, now I'm saying, I don't know if this was from her book or the podcast episode, um, but, but Rose was talking about how we now understand a lot more um, around like how the brain works and kind of the motivation behind someone being empathetic. Um, and that it's, that it's very taught, very connected to power, Haley, what you were saying, um, very connected to power and situational, but, um, connected to the motivation and that, you know, like research studies have, have shown that males, I think it was boys, but maybe it was with men too, um, can show just as much empathy as a female if, they're motivated to do so. And so that, you know, that kind of gets into, um, you know, the differences on how we're raised as if we're raised as, you know, a female or a male and the, and, um, the motivation to, to show empathy, um, to others. And also, um, what, what did she say? She talked about how females are often more, um, like monitored or policed and then punished when not doing as emo much emotional work. Whereas boys and men didn't have those same responses that females got, which I think that that's pretty important. Um, but, but the research showed that it's not that females are more capable or uh, like more capable to show empathy or do, you know, they're not just better at emotional labor. Um, although she did point out that growing adults, the females may be better because they've been almost coached and trained their whole life to be good emotional laborers as opposed to boys and men and their experiences. Um, anyway, I should probably stop because the book and the episode, the podcast episode, they're so good and they get in, into so much. And I just found it like, it really breaks it all down. And I needed that because, um, yeah, it was just not something that, uh, that we talked about. And she has some really, really good examples in there, uh, that covers a lot, which I think is just helpful, helpful to read. Um, but, uh, be before I, I stop what you said about, um, power Haley um they get into that in the book which I think was really key to, to yeah it's not just about gender um that it's really about about the power difference which can come up in in lots of different ways like I think about parents and kids teachers and kids um you mentioned like people of color and, and different things like that and I think that that's really important that it does um have to do with power and safety um so yeah lots of good stuff Mm -hmm. Sorry, I rambled. <laughs> no, I just, sorry, Haley, I'll just say one, one, I think, quick sentence that the word that comes to my mind when you're saying that Ashley is kind of like currency, right? Like some people are using, <clears throat> not using it in a bad way, or even consciously, but it's like a currency for 
um, surviving or for managing a, a particular social situation is that people pleasing is kind of like a superpower that somebody can bring to the to the situation. Sorry, Kate Haley, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I love it, and I, I yeah, I'm so looking forward to reading this book. But I was just thinking about how um, I think the more that we, because you know, we are a podcast that talks about um, talks about unschooling and home education, and we uh, and we often talk about the importance of relationships and connection, and and we talk a lot about um, how we can live with our children in a way that is more of a power with our children rather than power over and I do think the more that we talk to our children about these things and the more that we live with them in in the kinds of ways that we're trying to live with them which is where we are um yeah where where our relationship is what is important and we're trying to help them to to yeah to learn more about emotional intelligence and um, I forgot my train of thought I guess the more the more we focus on things like connection and respect and trust, then the more that our children are able to, I think we talked about this before, haven't we? The more that we can fill them up with those things, the more they're able to give to other people. And that will, that will be, well, they'll still have social pressures that we all have. They'll still live in the, social, the, the society and the culture or whatever that they live in. But I do think the more that we can do that for our children, for our sons, as well as our daughters, then the more yeah we'll see that it's not it's not kind of something that is just about about women and I have three adult children and I definitely have had lots of conversations with my son about um friendship groups and when he's been um he's done things in the past where he's got together a group of friends to game and and you know there's been kind of a community and he's found himself in that kind of he's reflected on afterwards about the the, the kind of role of trying to keep everyone happy and and you know, that kind of thing and so I know that he's that's definitely something that is on his mind um and I just think yeah that we can't underestimate I guess the importance of of um yeah respecting and trusting our children and how that can help them to um again also to to be um to be mindful of what energy they're expending and to be, and to to realize that they are important as well that they don't it's not just about other people's needs it's also about meeting our own needs and if they can yeah if they see us recognizing that in ourselves as well thinking back to all our kind of episodes we've had about self care about recognizing that when we meet our own needs we're actually better equipped to be able to support other people's needs um and hopefully yeah the the i think can't remember who what the quote is but there's some quote I think about um yeah the more the more our children feel that they're being supported in this way then the less they're likely to tolerate people not respecting them and trusting them in the future and mm -hmm. I think that's really powerful I love all that Haley, and I think that it's kind of a funny paradox because as you're saying that I, I absolutely the more that they are seeing people respect their own needs and and kind of um be thoughtful about their own sort of parameters and boundaries the more that that they will kind of learn probably and and acknowledge those for themselves and the i guess it's not really a paradox but it's just an interesting thing i think also the more that they see kind of thoughtfulness modeled and talked about the more that they are able to pour out of themselves when 
they when it's needed or when they choose to so it's kind of this interesting um i guess the word choice comes to my mind that we make that we make choices and so i can't remember the exact definition that you read there ashley but i think you made the point that sometimes it's okay to do that it there are times where we do need to put other people's needs above our own and like Haley, you had I mean, you had been talking about babies and young children when they're they're still needing so much help regulating and, and navigating the world. And I would say there are, you know, other stages in life where that's true as well. I found as as the kids get older, you kind of have that sense that maybe somebody in this moment is is needing more of you than you're needing that part of yourself, so to speak. I mean, another example would be that when you gave Haley, if you have a guest or you have who's maybe not feeling quite as, you know, inherently comfortable because it's not their surroundings. So I think as kids grow up, as much as, you know, there's some conversation about socializing, socialization, sorry, in homeschooling. And I think those are some of those key pieces is that developing that emotional intelligence, which is really, really nuanced <laughs> to, to make those, to discern that for yourself you know, how much do you want to give of yourself? How much do you need to? How much does somebody else need? Um, and then I just see my kids, uh, you know, it's kind of been interesting to see it in both directions. Like I was thinking about, sorry, I'm going back to the situation with my cat simply because it was collective. It wasn't like more one person's loss in the family than another. So I think it's why it keeps coming up for me. Um, but just kind of being open too to how that shows up in different people. So our first attempt at taking him to the vet, he, he has traditionally had a very, very difficult time going to the vet. It doesn't usually work. It's high drama. And so <clears throat> I knew I would need an extra set of hands. And uh, initially it didn't look like a day that was going to work for anybody other than uh one other of my kids and then that day arrived and like somebody sh you know another kid shows up and I was like I thought you had to work and he was like oh I you know I made arrangements I figured it out I don't you know I want to be an extra an extra set of hands now he would not be the type to like talk a lot about that ahead of time but it's just like his actions showed that empathy and I felt like in that moment he knew that even though you know two of us were going to give it a try. He knew it would be helpful to have his presence. And so again, he didn't articulate a bunch about it. He just made a, I guess I would call it an act of service. <laughs> he just made a change and it was like, there he was. So I feel like that was an example of somebody realizing that somebody else's need in that moment was higher than his. And so he made a choice to switch some things around and then similarly Haley to what you're talking about with like kind of coordinating a gaming group or a social social group you know I've also had my kids come to a place where they've been in that position too um one with gaming but I can think of another one with like trying to organize in-person get-togethers and like who's driving and who's picking who up and you know plans kept changing and they would need to book for a certain number of people but they you know just all the things that go with coordinating something and just kind of making a decision not to continue much with it anymore because it was more um 
it was more emotional labor than he felt was fair to put into the the friend group at that point. So not that, you know, not that he's not speaking to people anymore, like, you know, it's friendly enough, but he's not, you know, he's just not going to coordinate that. And I think sometimes we want to think that we're interchangeable and it's kind of like, well, if you step back, somebody else will just take, take up the reins, but you know, nobody did. And so there has been a loss of that, but sometimes that just is, again, I guess if we think about it through the lens of choice, we have to make choices for ourselves how much you know in that moment do we keep giving and maybe for him he perceived that his need for (laughs) that time for himself was greater than everybody else's need to have it organized for them um yeah yeah that's so wonderful i'm going with that but it's just yeah yeah it's just i think it's really i yeah sorry erin talking over you i was just gonna say i think that's really wonderful because that's him having good boundaries making a you know a decision about what is right for him and that's another thing we want our children to have isn't it we want them to be able to say no to things that we want them to be kind and considerate and caring of course we do but we also want them to be able to say no and recognize that when something is too much for them that they can't do it because I think it you know it's it, it's it's really hard if you if you're not sure whether somebody wants to do something with you, but they're saying that they do, but you're getting a sense that they don't really want to, then that doesn't feel very nice, does it? It's much better for somebody to have that those strong boundaries and say, no, that's not right for me now. And then maybe we can do that later. And then you can both be fully in it rather than feeling like you're doing something with somebody who's not really, you know, doesn't, you know, that doesn't that, you know, we can feel really that can be not a nice experience. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, it's important, isn't it, for us to feel that other people are being honest with us um, so that, and for us to be honest with them because then it is through that that we actually feel more connected. And I can't remember, that's just made me think as well about something we were talking about earlier. Um, and in those times where things, you know, that didn't happen in this situation, but in other situations where things do fall ab- apart a bit more, and you get a bit more conflict, perhaps, sometimes in those situations, you can actually forge stronger connections coming out of it. Um, Often, you know, if we're if we're both able to, um, or if the people involved are able to kind of show compassion and reflection and, um, and not take things too personally, often, that's where relation, a lot of the time, that's where relationship grows, isn't it, out of points of conflict and vulnerability I guess that's where we really get to know people sometimes and and where our relationships get stronger so it's not you know as one of you said you know it's not bad if though if if it all goes a bit pear-shaped it's about what happens from then on in isn't it I guess Um, and I was thinking as well while you were talking go on Ashley no no go Hayley oh well I was just thinking about that I was thinking about development, I guess. I was thinking about the fact that I think we have very high expectations on like teenagers and young adults. The idea that in our society, like there's a, there's a time where you're suddenly an, an adult and you have to have things all together. And in actual fact, our brains are developing throughout our lives. And, and it's not just when we're babies that we need, like I think you were saying, Erin, it's not, not just when we're babies that we need support. There are other times in our lives where we need a lot of support 
and that it's unfair of people to have really high expectations on us. And it can be things like, you know, maybe it's just a, a developmental thing, but it can also be um, situational, like, I guess, people who are, yeah, who are, who are grieving. You know, we want to be able to give those people a bit, you know, a bit more sort of forgiveness in those times if they're snappy with us, because you can understand that they don't have enough energy to be able to grease the social wheels in the same way that they might have uh, on other times. So, and, you know, and tiredness and people with, you know, young children and all kinds of, there are all kinds of situations, aren't there, in society that perhaps we have very high expectations about how we all ought to be relating to each other. And maybe we could just be a bit more kinder sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more with that, Haley. And actually, I read something just the other day that said, um, like there's the saying, I'm sure we've said it here, like children do well when they can. And I read something the other day, I think just yesterday, um, someone shared something around adults do well when they can. And so it just gets me thinking back to that that piece around trust. Um, you know, we talk a lot about trusting our children and seeing people as just inherently good and they're doing as well as they can. And I think we do hear people talk about like, we or I read things, you know, the messaging around, you don't know what's going on in someone else's life. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of what I was thinking when you were talking, Erin, about that. It's, it's a give and take. Um, it's really important to think about it and talk about it in our closer relationships, like in marriage or with our children or our close friends, or maybe our, our own parents, um, our siblings, like really close relationships that we care the most about to have those often like you said, Haley, hard conversations, but that's what allows you to move forward in a healthy way in that relationship. Um, But it is a lot of give and take. Um, And I think it only, you know, emotional labor really becomes just problematic because it's a great thing. Like emotional labor is so valuable. And I think a big problem is the fact that we don't see it as valuable. Um, We just expect it of people. Oh, I've lost my train of thought. (laughs) But going back, to that that give and take and um I think that's what I was going to say was just recognizing that um that's it that it was just going to be problematic in situations which I do see this I can think of specific people specific examples in my life where it seems to be the one person doing pretty much all the emotional labor and maybe part of that is because the other people in their life have stuff going on um, that that makes it difficult for them to do it, but it but that's still problematic um, because as we've talked about, that emotional work comes at a cost, like the headaches. I mean, you hear two people talk about burnout. Um, so I think, yeah, just I was just thinking about that give and take and how you're absolutely right, Haley. Like depending on, it's easy for us to or easier for us to almost excuse our younger children from maybe not showing empathy um, or, or being really kind in a moment because a lot of people now have the understanding, well, they're young and they're learning and, you know, we're, we're a bit becoming more comfortable with that a bit more. Um, but it's so true for anyone of any age. And I mean, we there's a lot of people who talk about how the teen years can be really challenging. Um, so that's probably a great example of when um, we might need to give our teenagers and they might deserve for us to give a little bit more of ourselves to them during that time. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you can still model boundaries and healthy boundaries and expectations, but just having that understanding that they're maybe not 
in the, the space where they, they can do much more, but that doesn't mean that they're going to turn into an adult who, you know, can't um, also give in those situations as well. So I think that, and yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to keep, I don't want to repeat what you've already said, but it would be true for adults too, just depending on, um, I mean, I can think about it in an even more simplistic way, I would think is just on a day to day. I know my capacity. I mean, you mentioned this, Haley, I think like if you're just tired, but um, I know there's certain times of the month where I have more energy and I just feel better and I can take on more and I'm able to be more patient with my children and co-regulate more easily with them. And that emotional labor doesn't drain me as much. But then there's certainly other times of the month where I don't have that in me and I kind of need someone else to step in. Um, and that that makes me just think about how we can't just say to someone, just do less emotional labor if you're feeling so tired or burnt out or if you're doing all of it, because I think it's important to recognize that often when the person doing a lot of the emotional labor stops, there's consequences. Um, sometimes they're just kind of smaller consequences, but sometimes they can be quite huge going back to like that, that piece around um, power and safety. But yeah, it's very situational. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really good thing to acknowledge, Ashley, is that as much as we're talking in really, you know, positive and gracious terms, there are times where somebody stopping that kind of holding the big piece of the emotional uh, labor, whether that's in a family, whether it's in a workplace, any number of settings um, doesn't actually go very smoothly. And that, you know, that's that kind of uh, indicator that that one person is holding probably way too much, <laughs> at least a little too much, probably way too much. Um, the, the, uh, the only other thing that came to my mind, um, well, there's lots that comes to my mind, but as far as the amount of time we have, <laughs> have today, um, is just how much emotional kind of work it is for people, depending on their personality. Like I'm even thinking of our children and, I can even think of times with my children's friends and how, how much, so let's just say there's a day with a few things planned. Some kids have to work a lot harder to manage the unknown, for example, than other kids do. And so I think that would be true for, um, for adults as well, that some personalities, just the anticipating the, um, so just kind of building that into our, our awareness. I, I remember um, a child that used to spend quite a lot of time with us and it would, I would feel tired from how many times it would be, well, what time is this? But then what time is my mom coming? Well, when are we eating? And I was like, oh my goodness, this is so many questions. And so it was taxing on me. But once I kind of took a deep breath and I was like, oh, it's actually really taxing on her to not know all of these steps like she's actually doing a lot of work to kind of and that would be not so much emotional work as mental work but having to do a lot of mental work just to kind of get through the day and I do think there's a lot of people like that 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 it is really hard not to have kind of those those things in place and so I think when we can sort of try to imagine it through their perspective that can help it's like the emotional and mental work for me feels a little bit less when I understand that um, 
the purpose behind it or kind of the reasoning that, that these questions are coming so fast and furious. And I think the opposite of that is that for some people having too many things planned and direct and too many directives is actually quite taxing and overwhelming. So um, yeah, I guess it's just back to having that grace for one another that our brains are all processing things in such different ways. And even the same person, as you're saying, Ashley might be processing it differently, like week to week or, or a day to day. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's a big soup, right. Of people <laughs> trying to get through life, trying to get through, through their days. And it's, um, I don't know. I just find it really interesting to look through that kind of like personality lens as well as far as what helps things flow for, for people and what, what can create um, sort of stress or anxiety. Yeah. I think that's beautiful, Erin. I think that really, you just really got into why people do or don't do well um, in certain situations. Um, And there really is always a reason and often we can't see it, but that it is so helpful when we are able to spot it or recognize it or if it's pointed out to us so I think that's yeah that's beautiful where are we is there anything else that comes to mind on this topic or are we tip of the iceberg maybe (laughs) for yeah I think there's so many things we could talk about I guess thinking of giving ourselves grace though um also in terms of that emotion when we're I know I've got myself in situations where I'm trying to think ahead and and smooth the way for thinking about all my children's needs or whatever and other members of the family. And I've kind of got myself tied up in knots. And in the end, <laughs> I've probably ended up causing more problems than I've solved. By you know, I think sometimes or sometimes you can. Yeah, just just being kinder to yourself as well, that you don't have to take responsibility for everybody's emotions and that you don't have to you know I think we touched on this so many times haven't we that sometimes yeah when things go wrong that it's not actually wrong and actually out of that wrongness can can come some beauty and connection and whatever um so yeah just about being kind to ourselves as well when we when we try so hard and then we end up feeling like we've pleased nobody or helped nobody (laughs) you know it's not that's not wasted work or that's not a time to be hard on ourselves. That's just, we're all humans and living human lives. Yeah. It makes me think self-compassion and how more and more I want to model self-compassion for my kids because I would love uh, for them to, to grow up sh- having self-compassion in those situations, situations for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess I do have one more thing actually that just kind of flows from that is, is um, consciously building in that time or, or even the possibility of that time for our, ourselves. Like, as I said, I didn't, you know, that in the initial situation I was talking about at the beginning, I imagined myself like having a migraine <laughs> at the end of the week and I didn't. Um, but there was something about building in that time and just, kind of looking at that weekend ahead because of course we're, when we're when we have something happen in our lives whether it's grief or illness or whatever it's not like there's nothing else happening as well so there's there's all the other pieces too and so for me I think 
not overbooking myself um, or not maybe making big plans. Whereas I think I used to be more of the mind. If I didn't have something on the calendar, I would, I would say, yeah, I don't have anything on that day. I would say yes. And more and more, I'm starting to think of, um, you know, having something on the calendar can be resting after a difficult week or a difficult evening. It doesn't have to be a difficult week. And so just building in that time. And if we don't, we might need to not need to use it in the way we anticipated we might, but there's just something very gracious to ourselves, I think, and just realistic that we make space for it in case, in case we do. Right. Or maybe we don't need the time that day, as you were saying, Haley, sometimes things are later, but there's just still something about acknowledging that, yeah, we may need some recovery time or some time to sleep or just do something fun or whatever that, that we might not normally. So. Yeah. I want to just quickly yeah. say, I know we're trying to end yeah. here, but it's just another example of how this emotional labor is really like without having that terminology, without having conversations around emotional labor or really, you know, reading about like all until recently, I'm just thinking as you're talking, Erin, about how, you know, maybe emotional labor is that was that driving force behind um, why I intentionally made the choice to start slowing things down. Um, I mean, I mean, I think I, I knew in a way, I just, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known as, as, as clearly as I do now around how emotional labor is connected to that. But exactly what you're saying, Aaron, is because it is work and it does, um, you know, it does take up that energy and stuff. It's um, so helpful and it's important when we're able to, because I know not everyone's able to, but when we are able to, to slow down. And I, I just wanted to mention that here because I think I've, I've talked on the podcast before probably quite a bit about um, how we've intentionally slowed down as a family. Um, and I think I did do that without really, not that I didn't know why, I could feel the reasons, I could feel that it felt good, but I think emotional labor um, probably has a lot to do with that so again hopefully that's you know and I'm not not to say that um you know I'm just thinking about my kids and I'm sure they're going to go through periods of their lives where their calendar or their schedule I I would look at and go oh my gosh and that's okay I think that's okay to have those times to do that but just to have kind of what we we're talking about here like that awareness of um how's that feeling and um you know, where can you or can you um, intentionally build in times for rest or recovery um, and why that that's just good, good for us for lots of different reasons, mental health and everything. So I just, I wanted to make that connection uh, here because I think we've talked about, yeah, the slowing down and stuff. So I was just thinking about that, Aaron, while you were talking about the calendar and making sure we prioritize rest when we can. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't that so much more important if we intentionally well, so much better if we intentionally build in those periods of rest rather than our bodies forcing us to rest exactly. by giving us things like migraines or getting poorly or whatever. You know, not that, you know, we still might get poorly, but, you know, it's it, it's something to think about, isn't it? It's, it we devalue rest sometimes mm -hmm. in, a, in our sort of busy society, don't we? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just being that it's like proactive rather than... Uh, reacting to the crash yeah yeah oh this has been so good thank you for I know this was just kind of like a thought <laughs> and we weren't too sure where the conversation would go but I appreciate it I feel like I've I'm kind of thinking about it in a few different directions and I yeah 
it, it, it turned out to me to be a really fruitful conversation. So thank you. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I guess before we go, um, I just will mention we have a new button on our, uh, so on the everlearning.ca website, there's a new uh, donation button on the podcast page. So if you feel so inclined, I think the, I think the wording is we appreciate you appreciating us. So if you ever feel so inclined, we would love if you would uh, hit that button and consider um, kind of donating to our, what would we call this an endeavor? I guess that we're, we're, involved in together that would be great um but of course you know it'll continue it's it's a free podcast it's just there if you're feeling so inclined and the other thing i was thinking that we we really don't say much about and we should is um if you have a chance to recommend the podcast or leave us a review or rating that would be wonderful as well so um we've heard lots of really good um individual feedback too which is really lovely because it's nice to hear it's nice to hear kind of specifically what people are are getting out of our conversations so thank you very much for that as well and on that note i guess this is goodbye for now so thanks Haley. thanks ashley thanks aaron thank you bye bye-bye and this ends our conversation today We hope you found it interesting and maybe helpful. If you'd like to connect further or see additional content, Haley can be found on the web and on Instagram at Taking a Kinder Path. I, Erin, can be found at Everlearning. And Ashley can be found on Instagram at Ashley as Mama and Storytime Shelves. We'd be very grateful if you'd share this conversation with anyone you think might appreciate it. Thank you for your time today.